Thank you so much for listening to the Spooky Door Podcast. Before we begin this episode, we just want to say that you can now watch our episodes and not just listen to them. That's right. We're now uploading all our episodes with video content onto our YouTube channel with lots of various topics, such as top tens and more. Of course, we will always maintain our audio form, but now you can watch the episodes. If there is any subject or topic you'd like us to cover, please let us know. Check out thespookydoor.com or search for the Spooky Door Podcast on YouTube. As always, thank you so much for being a listener and we appreciate all the support. Venture into the shadows with hosts Jordan and Ashley as they peel back the veil to reveal in-depth images into a different realm. One of strange events, places, occurrences, phenomena, and sometimes even horror. Join them as they journey through the spooky door. (laughs) Alright, we are on the Pleasant Valley Lutheran Church, and we are standing right on the steps where Steely Rose told Tracy Davis that she actually did indeed kill her family by using arsenic. Um, And right behind us as well is the cemetery where her parents and her brother are buried. We were shocked to find out the church is actually still here. (laughs) Same church, same steps. So, we crazy. And now, the completion of our interview with Mark Sebastian Jordan. So she made her excuse and left soon after that, went home, told her father, and they went and told the prosecutor what Seely had confessed to. Prosecutor said, okay, that's great. Now we've got to get you to get her to confess again because we can't just go by what you say because that's just hearsay. Right. So they have to have another witness. So her father uh, says, I'll do it. If you can get her to talk again, I can be nearby listening and hear it all. So Tracy got Seely into the barn on the farm where Seely was staying and got her talking again. And this time as Seely was talking, Tracy's father was in the hayloft over top of them, listening and keeping track of what they were saying. So now they had their second witness, and they immediately arrested her after that. Took her to the jail in Mansfield, and that's when it became this huge news story. It went all over the country. It was carried by all the wire services, and... You know, people started coming to the jail to see her. That was back in the days when they kind of had open visitation for inmates. So anyone who was interested in Celia Rose come. could come and talk yeah. with her. Yeah. So reporters by the boatload are coming in, talking with her, interviewing her. And although that's you know seems kind of uh, sloppy by today's standards, it did give us some direct interview responses in some of the media at the time. Uh, which is good for my purposes, researching right. it then all these all these years I'm later. I'm sure some of it was sensationalized. Very sensationalized. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was you know, I'm sure you can tell. Yeah, you can tell sure. when you were yes, reading stuff that was like, oh, we We complain, and often with good reason, about the media today. But then again, over 100 years ago, it was far worse. I was going to say, I'm sure it was very much sensationalized then because, mm-hmm. you know, that was... 
that was their entertainment. Right. They didn't have yeah. the TV. They don't have the internet. We One didn't. of the reasons these interviews are so, you know, you have to carefully weigh everything that you read in one of these interviews because you can tell that the reporters asked leading questions right. trying sure. to get her to say particular things try to get her to you know, to which I'm sure in her mental wild. state is very very right. She's very incredibly easy to mm -hmm. get her to say that right right but nonetheless a lot of good inf information in those things um, they have the confession you know the witnesses to the confession they have the marsh test the prosecutor still knows this is not a great case um, because there are a lot of people, you know, the, the common response of most people who know Celie Rose is they say, yeah, she's a little off. She's not quite all together. Well, for his purposes, to get the conviction of murder in the first degree, he has to prove that she is of sane mind, at least in a legal sense which, you know, isn't necessarily the same as a medical sense. He just has to prove that she knew that what she was doing was wrong. Well, the defense had no trouble finding a, a list <laughs> a mile long right. of people who would say, yeah, Celia Rose, she's never been right. She's out there. She's, you know, <laughs> and, and all those various horrible words, different people applied them to her. And the prosecutor did his best to find people who would say they thought, no, she's, she's sane, she's sane enough to that know that this, was, that this was wrong. Uh, well, the, the defense attorney was able to blow an irreparable hole into the prosecution's case when he simply asked uh, one day, uh, is it true that this witness, that witness, this witness, that witness, these are all relations of yours? He asked that to the prosecutor. Oh, no. Yeah. And they were? Boom. They okay. were. That's how much trouble he was having I mean, finding people who would, would say. That back in those days, like, everyone was related to each other, like some form of way. Right, right. Like, everyone yeah, was a second community. cousin or But smart as a pinch yeah. attorney to, like, <laughs> yeah. to find that trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think Gus Douglas, the, the prosecutor... I think he knew from the moment that case started that this was going to be a disaster because it, it uh, you know, he, he had to prove premeditated murder against someone who was obviously not all there mentally. And sure enough, it, it caused so much bad press and made him look so bad uh, that he lost his reelection. It was basically the end of his political career, this, this whole case. And <clears throat> because, of course, the, the jury did find her not guilty by reason of insanity and sent her off to the state hospital system. Uh, she was initially sent to the state hospital in Toledo. Uh, she was transferred years later to the state hospital in Lima after it was, was built. Which um, I also found that very interesting because I've learned recently um, through another case that Lima was not the best mm, mm -hmm. not the best place to be sent it was like if you were going there it was basically to be forgotten mm -hmm. in most cases i'm sure that is true Celie rose was an interesting case in her own right though if you go to the patient cemetery for the lima state hospital today you'll see dozens and dozens and dozens 
of crosses on all these graves. Most of them are marked with just the patient number. There are only a few of them in that entire cemetery that have the patient's name on there. And Seely Roses is one of them, which is interesting. Um, the word that has come down to us from stories that have been shared in the Lima area is that Seely actually had a sort of special position as a favorite of I was going to ask if there was any information mm -hmm. from the staff as far as how they... Well, there's a whole interesting thing here that I have to tell you about. Um, <laughs> this, this, is, uh, this is kind of an interesting thing. When I was back doing my original research, one of the thoughts that occurs to me is, okay, are there any surviving records from the state hospital right. system? So I contacted um, the state department that, that was in, in charge of that now. And of course, the state hospitals in Ohio were all shut down years ago and you know the the modern style of trying to reintegrate people into society um, became the norm but I wanted to see what records survived well I I got hold of, of someone and I asked her you know are there surviving records from the Lima State Hospital and she said well the fact is most records were simply not kept by the state. There are some that we have gathered, but you know, the vast majority of, of those uh, were not kept. And so it's unlikely that there's any information. So I said, oh, but there are some from the Lima State Hospital? She said, yes, yes, there are some. So I said, so there could be information about Seely Rose. In so those. you're not saying no. <laughs> and she said, well, you know, it's theoretically possible, but it's, it's unlikely. And I said, but you could do a search through those records to see if there's any information. She said, yes, but it's very unlikely. Sounds like she's the one and to I do said, it. I said, but you can search, right? Do you understand what I'm asking? <laughs> so, she, so she finally said, yes, yes, I can search. You know, give me the information. I gave it to her. And a few days later, I got a call back, and she said, this is amazing. I, I'm, I'm so surprised. I found something. Not a lot, but I did find a few records that refer to Seely Rose. So I said, oh, that's great. Can I, can I get copies of those? She said, no. Oh. <laughs> because at that time, there was a state law which said that that information, even after all of this time, would only be released to the nearest living kin. But it's like, I'm sure is kind of annoying like you know it's there right that's, that's right you can't that's even worse than say hey we don't have it. <laughs> right, right right you know it exists and you just can't see it but it wasn't a problem in this case she said i can only release that information to the nearest living kin i said fine i'll have him give you a call because in my researching i had found a man from southern ohio who's descended from david rose's sister so by Voila. everything yeah. i could find he's the nearest living relative so he called him up. They sent him the information. He immediately copied it back to me. Um, and what we found is we found some amazing things. We got a copy of the page where she was first uh, entered into the system. So it gave us, you know, physical description and things like that. 
uh, which was good, good info to have. And then, to our shock, we had a copy of the page where she was released from the asylum after one year. We know that Celie Rose died in the state hospital system in 1934 after being in there for decades. But this record from late 1897 quite clearly out. shows her as being released. But there is no readmission record. The only record after that is a year later, oh, she gets a new suit of clothes. So it's like, what's going on with that? Well, of course, we're never going to be able to document what right. happened there. But what we think, uh, what we think happened in this situation because we found a reference in the Mansfield newspaper from around that time about a rumor that Celie Rose had been released from the hospital and in that article one of the attorneys in Mansfield says they couldn't have released her she's a ward of the state it's our decision whether or not she should ever be released they couldn't have released her I'm sure we can clear this up with a simple telegram there is an article then that says, yes, it was all a misunderstanding. She's still in the hospital. But that article did not come until something like three or four weeks later. It doesn't take that long to answer right, the question so. with the telegram. So what we think happened is that the prosecutor and the sheriff went down to southern Ohio. Because if she was released, then it must have been to her surviving family. They probably went down to Pike County, Ohio, found Seeley with her relatives down there, and explained to them. And this was the one card that Prosecutor Gus Douglas had up his sleeve in this whole legal mess. When he put her on trial, he only put her on trial for the death of her father. Therefore, if somehow she gets free again, guess what? She has to go on trial for the death of her mother. And we go through this again, the death of her father. Or the brother. Her brother. Okay. Then, you know, the attempted murder right, I was going to say, you could always go back on attempted right. murder because yeah. they have proof yeah. of so that So he as had well. basically gamed the system so that he could gum things up just to keep her off the streets for a very long period of time. So we think he presented that and said, you know, she can either stay here and she goes on trial, or we can take her back to the state hospital and pretend this never happened. And voila, suddenly there she is in the state hospital again. Which would make sense. Which mm -hmm. honestly, you know, yeah. also, it also might be in her best interest to mm -hmm. right. you know, right. be somewhere where they're and just trying to help. By her. all accounts, the, the staff never had any trouble with her. Once she was removed from that situation where things escalated out of control, she was an easy patient to deal with and she became their favorite. She had extraordinary privileges, one of which was she was allowed to wear the locket that her mother had given her, which had pictures of her mother and father. It was actually her mother's engagement locket. And she was allowed to wear that on a little leather strap around her neck. Well, most mental patients wouldn't be given anything like that. Right. You know, she they could strangle themselves with it or someone else. But she was allowed that. So she had extraordinary privileges. There's also a story through families of people who had worked at the Lima State Hospital saying that, in fact, uh, the staff had actually taken uh, one of the, uh, the facilities, wagons, uh, uh, you know, uh, truck, and brought Seeley 
back down to visit her parents' graves in the late 1920s. Hmm. So, of course, we're not going to find documentation of that anywhere, right. but the story it's is more well-known in certain circles. You know, I think it's very interesting the statement you made about her being well-liked among the staff because I've noticed that seems to be a trend in other cases as well with people mm -hmm. that have committed, you know, crimes mm -hmm. and then they get sent to... Um, a hospital, state hospital, mm -hmm. is they always tend to be very popular right. once yeah. they get there and then all struggles they were having seem to go away. It's like you're mm -hmm. removed, like you said, you're removed from that stressful, everything that's triggering you yeah. from that breaking point and then it's just like mm -hmm. the charismatic aspect that comes yeah. out a lot of times with those mm -hmm. kind of mental disorders. And, and I think that's, that's a great point to make, the charismatic aspect. Um, we talked earlier about Diagnosing celiac yeah, I was gonna ask you, what, what issues. Your, well, what your think, what your thoughts I on think, it? Were? Uh, first of all, I think the the testimony of her teachers and other people make it very clear that in on one hand she was developmentally disabled, um, but it's interesting if you look at these other descriptions of her, uh, the glibness, the silliness. Um, but the way that in a controlled situation she could be very well-liked, very popular, very charming. So as an exercise, I took uh, the 20 questions that are, are used to evaluate um, sociopaths. Now, of course, it's, it's an intellectual huh. exercise. It's a limited right sort of thing because she's not alive. She can't be in the room with us to answer those questions. But it's a series of 20 questions about behavior uh, with weighted scores. If it uh, absolutely applies to this person, it gets two points. If it somewhat applies to this person, it gets one point. If it definitely is not this person, that's a zero. Um, so the highest possible score on this test is 40 points. When they gave this test to Ted Bundy, he scored 39 out of, out of 40. Um, and these are the, the descriptors of a severe sociopath or what is commonly known as a psychopath. Well, I decided as an intellectual exercise to go through and answer those questions as best I could well, she would answer Regarding, them. yeah, Seeley. With the, with the information you have, which with is... With the available information, which is admittedly limited. But nonetheless, going through and evaluating uh, these, these 20 questions, I came up with an estimated score of 30 to 32 for Seeley Rose. Wow. Yeah, which, okay, that's still pretty high, her, even as an estimated... Yeah, that moves her officially lenient, into what sure. is regarded as a psychopath. You know, sociopath is the term for anyone who has an inability uh, or a severely restricted ability to understand things from another person's point of view. They lack empathy. So among sociopaths, psychopaths, what we call psychopaths, are the really severe cases. But then even among psychopaths, only a small percentage of those are actually violent. There are a lot of psychopaths who are functioning perfectly well in this world. Sometimes they're very successful in fields like business or politics. You know, it, it's not necessarily mean they're going to be a dangerous or violent person. It's just a certain percentage of those who end up being the violent ones. 
Well, that leads me to a little side story. As you can imagine, I, I am just fascinated with various stories like this, true crime stories, just any kind of story that, that gives you insight to what makes some people click. Kind of stuff fascinates me. So I'm like, true crime, I will say, mm -hmm. watch true crime. I'll be like, I'm going to watch one or two episodes of this show and the next thing at the <laughs> end of the day and I'm almost done with it. Right, <laughs> right, right. I completely get Like, what that. just happened to my yeah. Saturday? <laughs> um, it was like the day before I was going to receive the final proofs for, for the book for review and approval and go into the final phase of, of publication. And before I went to work one day, I was... Uh, I was surfing around on genealogy websites, and uh, one that had uh, uh, historical stories related to Appalachia was where I was searching, and I saw something about a murder case from Scioto County, Ohio. I thought, oh, okay, that looks interesting. I'll read that. Um, and it took place in 1921. A fellow by the name of Roy Shamblin was arrested for... Uh, having robbed uh, a couple of people on the Scioto Turnpike, or at least he had stopped them with intent to rob them, but then shot them, basically executed them. And he tried to deny that. He claimed that uh, he had just been walking along innocently and bumped into them, and a dispute happened, and they threw something at him. So oops, he shot in self-defense. <laughs> yeah, oops, they're dead. As, as the sheriff is, is interviewing Roy Shamblin, um, he finds it remarkable that uh, Roy doesn't care a bit about these people that he killed. You know, it's nothing to him. They're just chumps. So he has no empathy whatsoever for, for these people. So as the sheriff's questioning him and, and, you know, trying to dig into him, he's thinking, well, how can I get to this guy? So an idea finally hits him because... Shamblin had told him about, you know, his, his difficult childhood and he'd gone to the boys industrial school and his mother was really poor, but, you know, his mother was really good to him, really loved to him, but, you know, couldn't, couldn't take care of him very well. So he can tell there's some kind of connection between child and mother. So he says, Roy, what's your mother going to think when she finds out that you've been arrested for double homicide? And that gets to him because he realizes, you know, his mother has been his one source of support through, throughout life. And if this devastates her, then he loses his, his support. So this really bothers him. And he says, you know, we have to be really careful about how we break this news to my mother. You know, if, if we shock her, it, it could cause her to have a heart attack or something. We've got to break this news to her somehow can you call in my uncle so I can talk with my uncle about how to break the, the news to his sister, my mother? And the sheriff says, okay, fine. What's his name? He said, his name is Ori Easter. Er, Easter, which is not a common surname. Celie Rose's mother was an Easter. And so I immediately start doing, tearing through genealogical sources to see if there's some kind of connection. And I found it. Turns out Roy Shamblin, who ended up being convicted and was executed in Ohio's electric chair, was Celie Rose's second cousin. 
Which is odd to say that because a lot of stuff like that too is very, they say it's genetic. Mm -hmm. um, and it you know, if you look, sociopath, psychopaths, violent psychopaths, here's two of them within 25 years in one family. That's really um, something. So do you think that was solely her um, condition or do you think there's something else alongside it? I know that there, there is developmental disability and then I think there's the condition of being a psychopath. But of course, one of the huge questions with that is where does that come from? We've established there appears to be a genetic issue. Mm -hmm. uh, there were also issues of mental instability on the Rose side of the family as well, which is documented. So there's a lot of mental instability running around there. And then you look at the fact that this is a poor family. So there are economic stresses involved there. But then additionally, there's a fascinating element that there was actually another sister. Her name was Julia. She was two years younger than Walter. So again, considerably older than Celie. But she disappears from all records around the same time that the family suddenly moves from Pike County to Richland County. That's a move of over 150 miles which is not something that was easily or casually done in those days. They moved from a place where their families had lived for a long time to a place where no one knew them. What's up with, with, this with, with all of that? It's, it, there's a lot of unanswered questions there. We don't have all the answers yet. We don't know where uh, Julia was buried. We don't know exactly when she died. We don't know how she died. But it appears there is something something going on there. Well, this has, you know, opened the door to a lot of potential questions. What do we know about the dynamics here? Does it, this maybe go deeper than... Right, because it's been pointed out. Okay, the Roses, they had a child named John who died in infancy, then Walter, then Julia, and then no child for a decade and a half, and suddenly Celie? That's not impossible, but it's certainly odd. That, you know, I will say when I was doing my research, that did strike me odd when mm -hmm. they stated how old the couple was right. when they had her. Mm -hmm. So but the I interesting point that. is when Celie was born, Julia would just have been getting to possible childbearing years. So... Was Celie actually David and Rebecca's child or grandchild? And if, by some possibility, Julia was actually the mother, who was the father? And do we and really want right, to know? Right, that was my question. Maybe is that part right, of right, the... Right. Um, Which, if that's the case, that's where the, your, your you know, of those abilities yeah. would come from, right there. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I mean, so... You know, the, the potential is there. Those those whispers, you know, could this have been incest or some sort of... And know, if there's already a history of mental issues, mm -hmm. that's right, more right, likely. Right. Um, so just, you know, becomes even that much more twisted and dysfunctional, all of which can contribute to a psychopathic condition. I will say it was really interesting, um, you know, as you're speaking of, like, where everybody's buried. It was really interesting to actually go... 
for sure, like walking through the cemetery yeah. looking, and mm. there's so many people within the families. Mm -hmm. And then we, you know, we, I see it out of the corner of my eye. I see yeah. the names, and I'm like, yeah. it's there. Mm -hmm. And we go over, and it's just very surreal to then look at the dates, knowing the story. Just look at the That's dates right. of the death, and yeah. you can see it's like it plays boom, boom. out. Tracks the berries and the right roses are all over there. Right, the guy is just sixty feet away over over here. Right, and then you see this big. <laughs> tombstone obviously that isn't wasn't originally there that the names are on but then you look down and it's like mother father and you can see actually where they're buried it's very yeah. surreal to be like that's their bodies are mm -hmm. are down there um, yeah. and then we went to the house too and the house yeah. was very creepy yeah. vibes well all and the you way think around. about how small that house was and the the section on the side which is today the kitchen that wasn't even there originally that was added later so you have this tiny house with four volatile people in yeah, it. Yeah, it, it must have been like a pressure for, for Yeah, it's pretty small for a family. And then also size. the stress of everything else, the lifestyle they had, and mm -hmm. not really how a whole lot. So yeah, yeah, I will say too, being somebody that <laughs> tends to be very empathetic, I was very much like when I was walking down. You know, mm -hmm. around the house, and we're just getting some footage. We're looking, yeah. you know, we're just looking at everything, and it just got to the point where I was just like, you know, I just started to feel worse and worse, and I have a point where I just like, I have a really bad headache now, yeah. on top of everything, and like, we gotta go. Let's just go look at the Barry's house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yep. I can I can see where people can walk into that house mm -hmm. and you know have. Yeah. experiences there right um it's every absolutely I, believable to me yeah. yeah every time i wouldn't want to go in there just based on the feeling i got walking <laughs> mm -hmm. outside of it i was like yeah. there's no way i would want to go in this house every single time that i've been in there um it's interesting i find everything on the first floor uh to be it just has kind of a heavy feeling, a sad feeling. That's exactly that. how mm -hmm. I described it. I was but heavy. It's not, I feel sad, not like in a like not in a malicious way, just more mm -hmm. of a very sad, heavy heart. Yeah, yeah. I just we just kind of want to be left alone now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the interesting thing is then when I go upstairs to the room that we think was the area where Celie slept. Uh, and interesting, considering the original layout of the upstairs, there are only two rooms. So that means mom and dad in one, Celie and Walter in the other. Mm. Right, which, which makes you, you know, makes you again, uneasy go again. Revisit that because um, it happened once. Right, then. right. Uh, well, every time that I walk into that room, and I've been into the house many times, and I've never felt any different walking into that room. I feel like I'm walking into a field of electrical static. It's very different from the heavy, sad feeling downstairs. It's not a malicious or negative feeling. It's just just a strong sense of pres of presence, maybe a sense of curiosity, maybe a sense of confusion. It's like it's hard to think clearly because it's just static. It's, it's like noise. Clear. It's completely silent in the room, but somehow it feels noisy, if that makes any sense at all. Oh, it totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, we know. Um, we know exactly what you're talking mm -hmm. about, you know, uh, having to be two yeah. people that have had experiences themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's why we started the whole that. podcast. <laughs> we, were just like, we just have known each other so long, and it was just like we both had just known this stuff about mm -hmm. each other. It was so, like, yeah. There's more people out here that have mm -hmm. had these. Right. Well, um, you know, one time I took uh, a group of people on a tour 
in into the house. We hadn't even made it up the stairs before. We were just starting to go up the stairs when one woman turns around and starts pushing people out of her way and said, I have to get out of this house right now or I'm going to throw up. And I she feel ran like outside. that's that's what would happen See, that's kind of like the feeling I've, I had. Like, I was like, mm-hmm. we were like walking around the grounds and we were like in the back of the house and I was like, mm-hmm. I'm feeling like really bad. Yeah, that's yeah. how mine started. Like, I felt bad. I felt like my hands got just really weak mm-hmm. and then yeah. I started to feel like that and then it just turned into like, not like a headache you get when you have like a cold or your sinuses. It was just like this mm. sharp pain and yeah. I was like, I gotta go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We were both like really happy to like leave the air. <laughs> so we're like, so we're talking like, let's go to the Barry's house. Like, it looks yeah. <laughs> that looks nice over there. It's like they're doing some kind of basket weaving or something over there. Let's go. Yeah, over. they're spinning and weaving. Yeah, that's, 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 there now. that's what it was. There was now somewhere. before that, um, from what well, from 2010 to 2018, I actually lived in that house, the Barry house. Oh, did you? It was operated as a hostel at that oh. time. Um, so I was the manager there, uh, so you know it was it was nice being able to actually live there right. at Malabar uh, so for like a the, while. The little um, child in you that was interested. Mm-hmm. That's just like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, although I would point out that although it's a very pleasant, nice place, the the Berry House does have a couple of ghosts itself. That wouldn't um, surprise super, me. Yeah. You know, with everything being um, one of the few full apparition ghosts I've ever seen. Really? Was in that house. Was in that house. <laughs> Um, do you, do well, you the, the have funny, an idea of who you thought it was, or were you just like, I don't know? We haven't been able to identify who it is, but I'm not the only person who has seen her. It's a little girl. Um, the The funny thing is, um, I was recommended for that job by the previous manager, who was a friend of mine. We had uh, done some research together on various projects. Uh, Brett Mitchell uh, is his name. And when he suggested the place... Uh, to me, I was really interested taking over as as manager, um, and I just asked for his assurance before I moved in there. I said, you know, it's not like a, a crazy, nasty, haunted place or anything like that, is it? And he just said, a regular no. haunted place. He said, yeah. <laughs> he just said, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> that should have been like your red flag. It's right. fine. What does fine so, mean? So, and. Uh, <laughs> So I move in there, and it's, it's like it's the first, it's within a week of when I've moved in there, one of the first times I'm taking uh, laundry from the sleeping rooms upstairs, I'm going down the stairs uh, to the basement, and as I'm, you know, turning around on, on the landing, out of the corner of my eye, see a little girl run across the front hall, and then she's gone, so <laughs> I'm like... Okay, well, that was interesting. Um, so I emailed Brett and I said, So, have does, you ever seen yeah, anything while, while you're here? Now, Brett is notorious for taking, you know, anywhere from two weeks to two months to respond to an email. <laughs> you know, he's terrible about, about replying. This time I got an email five minutes later and all it said was, So you saw her too. <laughs> I saw her a couple other times after that, but the full apparition time was one time when I was was cleaning, was getting the place ready for guests who were coming in. So the last thing on my mind is anything like hauntings or ghosts or anything. Right. You know, I'm thinking about my laundry list. You know, things I've got. I got a sweep. I got a mop. This, that, and the other. I had just done something in the dining room, and I turned the corner in the hallway to head out to uh, the living room out front. And just for the quickest flash of a second, 
saw this little girl, I don't know, like five or six years old, in an old-fashioned dress with lots of frills and everything, running down the hall at me with her arms out, like she was going to jump into my arms. And of course, in the next half second, my brain thinks, I can't be seeing this, and she disappeared. But then I got this incredible warm and cold feeling at the same time. So I think I got hugged by I a ghost. Say, <laughs> That's Do you ever um, feel like that <laughs> you may, maybe you doing all the research and having all the knowledge you have about that place in general has maybe like connected you there and maybe that's mm-hmm. why that happened to you I've why had, you experienced I've, that so easily with her well i've had more than more than one uh person who would describe themselves as you know a sensitive or you know empathetic or such say that they get the impression that at times celie rose actually follows me around and kind of keeps tabs on what I'm doing. Sure with you're this, with you're this telling story. everything right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, make of that what you will. Um, I did once see or thought I saw, you know, however you want to want to look at it, but a full apparition of Sealy. Hmm. And uh, how so, was that? Like, I'm sure that was <laughs> a lot of mixed emotions for you. Like, especially because I first uh, saw her. And she's maybe like uh, 40 feet away from me. I see her. She's smiling. And in the next instant, because I've seen her and recognized it's her, suddenly she's only 20 feet away from me. And that's when the brain kicks in like, whoa, can't be seeing this. Right. And um, I've, I've, I've heard, too, that um, you're... That it always feeds off of your body reacting. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. once you're, yeah. you set your body yeah. into that, that's why you stop right. seeing things is because you yeah, set your into that physical state. And then I'm just happy to hear an actual happy it. ghost story on this show for the first time. <laughs> yeah, this is like, yeah, probably though. Yeah, every, right. you know, every story we have is like absolutely uh, nightmare like fuel. Right. Right. It's kind of nice to hear about like yeah, a little they're terrifying. Be, they're very right, weird and unusual. Yeah, there but, can be different. But yeah, different most of the stories we get are like absolutely just. Terrifying. So it's really nice to hear about one where little girls like, "Hey, hi." Right, right. Um, So as far as um, with you writing the book and everything, um, I know that you kind of expressed that you wanted to do that separate of a paranormal thing Mm -hmm. because you thought that this was important information that needs to get out there. Which I completely agree. From you know all the information that you're giving us, a lot of which um, we didn't know. Um, but do you ever feel like, especially within the process of, you know, releasing the book, that um, the paranormal aspect, everybody being attracted to this location because there's supposedly ghosts here and they want to find those ghosts overshadows mm-hmm. um, the story like people come in and they don't get all the knowledge. Right. That very much is the case because a lot of people come in with only the vaguest notion of what the story is about and then they want to imprint this idea on the case. She killed her family, therefore she must be evil. Ooh, this must be some nasty, evil ghost, and we want to find evidence of that. Well, that's not the case. This is the case of a young woman who is so mentally messed up. Yes, she killed her family, parts of them at least, at least her mother. I don't think she ever stopped loving. Yes, she killed her, 
but it's not like she hated her or was evil. She just saw her as an obstacle to getting what she wanted, so she's going to get them out of the way. Did she truly understand that she was erasing them from the face of the earth? No, I don't yeah, think I don't so. Think she did either. She talked later on about how her mother would talk to her in dreams. So to her, her mother's still out there somewhere. She doesn't really understand why her mother doesn't come back to her, but she still talks to her once in a while. So you know, she she's mean, still out there. We talked about in the sense. book like she'd pass by the graveside and she would have no, mm -hmm. no emotion whatsoever. And she saw the yeah. graves like it was like I'm looking at a stone, mm -hmm. not, like a yeah. stone with their names like, on. Like not That's even like right. realizing what what that actually is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think there was very much a disconnect like that. Um, now, of course, the the funny thing is some people with this uh, you know insistence that they want to label Celie Rose evil have then. Uh, said that that you know oh I I, I try to uh, make her seem you know likable or something like that. It's like no, I'm just trying to make sure that people recognize the real facts of this case. So many people run through life wanting everything to either be black or white, black or white. Well, guess what? Life is a rhapsody no. in gray, and yeah, Celia Rose is a perfect example. Yes, and I would say you know a lot of things that you mentioned earlier on as well as far as her mental state and her being able to like i guess the the best example that i was like this is an actual truth when you're talking about having um the mind of a child but also dealing with the emotions of being a full-grown woman yeah. is you know we deal with that at my house um stepdaughter's special needs and mm. she's 21 years old now mm -hmm. and it's like exact that thing yeah. it's like you see it yeah. in front of you, her trying to cope with all these emotions mm -hmm. as a woman, yeah. but she only has the mind the mind of like a five-year-old to right. be able to do it. Yeah. And it's like, it's she gets so frustrated difficult. and she gets upset. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly, I think, yeah. speaks truth to what you're saying about exactly. things being gray. Like, mm -hmm. it's not black and white. There's right. a lot of things in there. And some people, it's easy for them to just go straight through life because they don't hit those walls mm -hmm. or see those things. But yeah. most of us... Yeah. Other people out there in the world, we experience those right, things, right. and we know that the gray yeah. is there. And mm -hmm. So I think telling the history of it is it's a important. way of drawing attention And I definitely to that. agree with yeah. you there mm -hmm. that I don't think she's evil. I think it's right. very much mm -hmm. a, a situation. Had it happened this day and age, you know, in our modern times, it would have been handled much differently. That's one of the things that I tried to think about with this case, how it would be handled differently. Part of what scares me is in some ways, I'm not sure that maybe we might even handle parts of the case worse. That's true. Because at least... Publicity they, with the way media is today, mm -hmm. it probably... Yeah, well, you know, at least one that. thing they got right, I think, was that they found her not guilty by reason of insanity. And let's put her somewhere. And I'm not entirely sure every jury would do that today. Right. That's true. That is a hard thing mm -hmm. these Which days is a scary to thought. use. Though yeah. she, but they would have to first figure out if she's even right to stand trial. Right. Which mm -hmm. she probably wouldn't even pass that. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, you'd think. With someone yeah. like that. Well, like, it's, it's, it's scary, too, because they, it's, I feel like a lot of times, too, they know what the outcome is they want to get. Like, I recently was watching a thing, and um, there was an individual who had multiple personalities. So, mm -hmm. when the court asked the um, asked them to approach for the court date to figure out if the person could stand trial or not, they didn't say, are they insane or are they sane? The question said, 
at the time of the crime, did mm. they know yeah. the difference between yeah. right and wrong? So they knew that this person had multiple personalities, mm -hmm. and they just wanted to know, did that personality know? Yeah. Because if that yeah. personality knew, that's all we care about. Right. And I think in that aspect, you're right. It's, mm -hmm. it's they, they, sometimes they know <clears throat> the outcome they want, and yeah. that's what they're going to go after. Right. The book is called The Seely Rose Murders at Malabar Farm. It's written by our test, uh, Mark Sebastian Jordan. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today. My pleasure. Um, no, it's been amazing. I love hearing the story. Yeah, I've loved it's, I feel like I've, I should be like sitting in front of yeah. a fireplace <laughs> with like some hot cocoa. It's been absolutely amazing to hear the stories and your experiences. Good. Good. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. You're welcome. And we'll see you next time on Spooky Door. <laughs>